see you this morning. There's a bunch more of you here than you were a few minutes ago, so glad you're here. If you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and open to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, um, <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the floor right there in the chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that. That is our gift to you, or if you know somebody who might like to have a Bible, you can take it and give it to them as well. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, you can look in the table of contents right there in the beginning, and it'll tell you how to get to it towards the back of the Bible. We are in a series called Everyday Church, um, and really this series helps us to see how as followers of Christ, that what we do, um, what we talk about in church is really something every day that we live out, and the gospel has implications for every part of our life. Um, not just where we are on Sunday, not just when we gather together with community group, not just when we're studying the Bible, but that the gospel has implications for us in the big parts of our life and in the small parts of our life. And um, we kind of skipped today's text earlier, not because we didn't want to talk about it, but we were, um, we were looking. It was kind of funny. Uh, Fudd and I were talking about when some chances when I might, I might preach on a Sunday, and we chose this Sunday, and we kind of realized at the same time, it may have even been Carrie who realized it, that it was January, what is today? February the 14th, which is Valentine's Day, Um, and we talked about how the husband and wife passage was there. So um, I got to talk about the fall on Father's Day a few years ago, which was pretty awesome, and now I get to talk about submission on Valentine's Day. So I'm starting to think there's a a pattern that's coming here. So um, no, just just joking. Um, so what we did was we, we, we just kind of, we kind of put that on pause and continue moving forward and intentionally we're going to come back here uh, for today. So I'm excited about this text. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple obstacles in my way this morning as I prepare to talk about this text. Uh, the first is this, um, and you'll see as we get into the passage, First uh, Peter 3, 1 through 7, it deals with the topic of submission and authority within marriage. So the first obstacle that I have is that especially in our, in our culture, when we begin talking about these ideas, for a lot of people, there are either bad experiences or bad thoughts or bad understandings or just barriers that come up, and then automatically, because they that's what we may be talking about. There are now things which come in front of us which would cause maybe some people to say, I don't even want to hear what you have to say because I already know what that means and I don't like it. And so what I hope that this morning is that maybe if just that idea, that concept, the words kind of well something up within you, that you would maybe just for a moment kind of push that aside and just listen and just hear. Could it be different than maybe what you think it is? Could it be something that has a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding? And could it be not that God is trying to hold anybody down, but that God actually loves you more than you know and has something for your good? The second obstacle that I have is this, and there probably are more, but these are the ones that I kind of thought of, is that um, because today is Valentine's Day, there are some people in the room that just hate this day. They just, they just don't like it, right? And I'm not talking about husbands who don't know what to buy their wives. Maybe they do. But I'm talking about there, there are people who, who aren't married or who want to be married or don't care anything about marriage. And they're like, I don't care. I don't have a significant other. Or they feel bad because they do. And so they don't like that. But then there's also some people in this room who aren't married and who say, when I come to a text in the Bible that talks about husbands and wives, well, I'm not married right now. I don't know if I'll ever be married. I don't know if I want to be married. So this is one part of the Bible that really doesn't apply to me. And so the obstacle then to overcome 
come is that some people will just say, I'm just going to go ahead and tune out and I'll pick back up next week. What I want to encourage you for is God's word is good and profitable for all of us in every section. So when we're talking about wives, single women, there are things in there for you. And husbands and single men, there are things in there for you. And the opposite is also true. When we're talking about men, no matter what your marital state, there's words in there for you of encouragement and of rebuke and of teaching and, 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 and lifting up. So what I want to ask you this morning is no matter where you are, no matter what we're in the text, let God speak to you in the midst of that. Because I believe that if we come to the text with an open heart, with a, with a true desire to say, God, I love you more than anything else. And I want to know what you have. I want to be here. I want to receive from you something that will be nourishing to my soul that I think God is, is faithful and will give that to us. So that's our goal. That's what we want to go for tonight. I, I think that um, this passage as well as others that talk about marriage, have one big idea that I think that as I was studying this, it kind of comes out to me. And I want to give this to you before we even get into the text. We best love our spouses by honoring them the way that God commands. We best love our spouses by honoring them the way that God commands. Let's think about this for a second. God commands us to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually faithful to our spouses. And when we honor them the way that God commands us to do this, we show them, you're important to me. You alone are worthy of this. You alone are the receiver of this. You are mine and no one else. And when we give that to our spouse, our spouse understands that we, they, that we are valued by them and we are loved deeply. God commands us to give ourselves to our spouses physically and emotionally, and when we do this, it displays true love for them. God commands us to hold their needs before ours, to put the other one first, and when we do this, it displays true love for them. And so when we see this, we also have to believe that what God has put for us in this text, in the ways that husbands should honor their wives and wives should honor their husbands, are a way that we can demonstrate true and genuine and heartfelt love. And there's reasons for this. I think one of the things that it does is it keeps love of God first and primary. In our culture, love for each other is what is celebrated as first and primary. The love that I have for my wife, that's what's most important. But we, we need to flip that on its head and we need to understand that the root and basis of my love for my spouse is rooted in my love for God and more importantly, his love for me in the gospel. And so if I love God genuinely and deeply, it will cause me to love my spouse the right way, the good way, which is really the second thing. God's design is always what's best. However God has designed things to work, however God commands us to live, however God directs us is always the best way, is always the most satisfying way, is always the most loving way. So if I love God primarily, then I know that these commands that he has for me as a husband, commands he has for you as a husband, commands he has for you as a wife, all of these commands I see, they are for my good and they're for the good of my spouse. Because I love God and I know that he has our best interest in heart and he wants what's best for us. 
And also, this is the way that we allow our marriages to really show forth the gospel. We know from Ephesians chapter 5, we've talked about it many times. Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible tells us that the marriage relationship was designed to reflect the gospel. It wasn't like God looked at marriage and thought, man, that is a really cool thing I did there. Maybe I'll make the gospel look like that. God's intent in marriage from the beginning was that it would display the truth of the gospel. And so when we love God primarily and we believe that his ways are best, and so then we seek to honor our spouse the way that God says we should do it, what we do is we communicate to them a deep sense of love that is so much more than what the world would have to say And it allows us to be those who image forth the gospel, as it were. So this morning, as we talk about this and as we dig into this text, I hope that what you will see is that we have a wonderful privilege of loving others because God loves us. And he's given us a blueprint of how we can do that. So let's read our text and see what God has to say. 1 Peter chapter 3 will be in verses one through seven. First Peter three, one through seven. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, as when we look at this text, what we see is that Peter first addresses wives and then he addresses husbands. And, and this kind of makes sense with the way that Peter has done this all throughout the book. What I want to do this morning... <coughs> is I want to flip this. I want to, flip, I want to address husbands first and I want to address wives second. Excuse me. <coughs> Peter, <coughs> culturally, we look at and we see that in their culture, they would always have submit, addressed the one under authority first and then address the one in authority. But culturally for us, we tend to do it the opposite. We tend to go first to the one who's in authority and then to the one who's under authority. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to go that pattern. And I think it'll be beneficial for us. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, don't tune out. Here's our first point. We're going to go in verse 7. Husbands show honor to their wives by intentionally pursuing a knowledge of both them and the gospel. Husbands show honor to their wives by intentionally pursuing a knowledge of both them and the gospel. Paul begins verse 7 with the word likewise. It's the same thing we see in verse 1. So he says, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Now this likewise really connects us back to chapter 2 verse 21. 
For it is to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter has been talking about these different areas of authority and he hearkens back to this idea that Christ has set an example for us that we might follow in his steps. He set the example so that we would follow in his steps. And so then I believe that Peter in this likewise, he, he taps into that. So just as Jesus did things, now you are to be like that. He's still addressing this idea of authority, but what he is doing is this is the idea of authority. But like Jesus, as Jesus lived, this is how you now respond in this marriage context. And he says that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now this term in an understanding way, literally in the Greek means with knowledge. And what we find, it is really ambiguous. What does it mean with knowledge? Knowledge of what? Understanding what? And there's a bunch of different options. So it could be that they need to understand the gospel. So they live their lives in light of understanding the truth of the gospel, that they've been saved, their life is not their own, and they're called to live by Christ's commands. And so husbands, would you understand this? You set aside your plans or desires for marriage and focus on your wife first. Because that's what God has called you to do. Or maybe Peter is saying, you need to live in an understanding way, meaning understanding your wife, knowing her so well that you learn her, you learn her hurts, her joys, her desires, her hopes, those things which lift her heart up and those things which tear her heart down. Knowing her so well that you know how to encourage, affirm, serve, and love her. Or could it be that Peter's saying, we need to live with an understanding way, an understanding of what the meaning of marriage truly is. Understanding that the marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and the church. That as a husband, you are to pursue and fight for your wife's sanctification, according to Ephesians chapter five. Or could it be that husbands need to live understanding the grace of God in their lives, understanding that as Christ has shown grace to you, you need to be one who shows grace. As Christ has forgiven you and accepted you and loved you and brought you near and given himself completely for you, that that as a husband, you understand that and understand that now you are to be one who exhibits that exact kind of life. Is that what Peter is saying that husbands need to understand? Or is he saying, husbands, you need to understand your role in marriage is that of a servant leader. Understanding that the weight of leadership has been placed upon you and it is not because you are better. It is not because you are more worthy. It is because that's the way that God has designed it. And there's no room for you to be a dictator. You are to be like Christ who humbled himself and washed the dirty, stanky feet of his disciples. Which one of these is Peter saying? It's ambiguous. What does it mean? And I would argue to you this morning that Peter is saying all of the above. Every single one of those is the way that a husband is supposed to live in an understanding way with his wife understanding the grace of God, understanding her, understanding the gospel, understanding what marriage means, understanding God's grace, and understanding that you are to be a servant leader. 
And so husbands, as you go to start thinking about living with your wives, Paul doesn't say, just go about it and do the right things. He says, you need to understand. You are to be a learner, a learner of the gospel and a learner of your wife. You are to continually be growing in grace and holiness and sanctification and pursuing to lead, provide, protect, care. You need to understand the magnitude of what has been placed on your shoulders. And when you do, it guards your heart from becoming that authoritarian dictator that so many people fear. Because you see the presence of God and what he has required of you. So we do this. And what we find happens then, Paul, Peter says, I want, I'm probably going to say Paul 30 times because I'm so used to preaching from Paul, but I'm preaching from Peter. Peter says, live in an understanding way, showing honor. See, the result of this is as we live in an understanding way, it causes us not to say, I'm in charge, I'm going to do this. When we understand this, it moves us to show honor to our wives. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary has a helpful understanding of honor. This was so good. While honor is an internal attitude of respect, courtesy, and reverence, It should be accompanied by appropriate attention and action. Honor without such action is incomplete. It is mere lip service. God the Father, for example, is honored when people do the things that please him. You see, this is a lot more than just thinking the right things. This is thinking the right things and then acting on them. So the more we understand, the more it drives our actions. And can I tell you something? If you're a single guy in the crowd, don't wait until you get married to try to start doing some of this stuff. Don't wait to try to learn what it means to be a servant leader until you're thrust into it. Are you now in positions where you are serving others in your community group? Are you being a servant In your family, are you serving others? Are you looking for opportunities to behind the scenes, to do things, to lift other people up, not so that you will be seen, but because that's what God has allowed you to do? Are you cultivating within your heart already desires now that you will care for people, that you will love people, that you will step up when no one else will step up, that you will sacrifice your own wants and desires for the good of others. You see, God gives us opportunities to begin cultivating these things so that when you're thrust into marriage, then you already understand this is what I need to do more and more and more. Later in, in in verse seven, moving on, Peter says that he refers to wives as a weaker vessel. Now, this is one of those things which could come across to some people as as an insult. I'm not weaker. I'm strong. Why are you calling me weaker? Peter's hating on women. That's not what he's doing. And and one of the things I I realized this thing about this is weak doesn't denote valueless. Something priceless is cared for greatly because it is weaker. Okay? So imagine for a moment I was standing up here and I had two things. I had a plastic Easter egg and a Fabergé egg. Now a Fabergé egg, if you don't know what that is, is a very delicate jewel-encrusted creation 
that is worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And a plastic Easter egg can be bought at the Dollar Tree, 4000 for a dollar. Now, if I dropped the plastic Easter egg, I'd probably just kick it off the stage and go back and get another one. But what would happen if that Fabergé egg just tilted slightly and looked as if I might drop it? I would, I, would, I would come under it and I would gather around it with both hands and I would do everything I could to keep it from falling to this stage because it might crack or it might break. You see, it may be weaker, but it is so precious I will take care of it. And I don't care about the thing that may be stronger that I'm not worried about breaking. You see, even Peter, as he's doing this, he is not demeaning women. Oh, they're weaker, so you gotta watch out for them. But weaker devotes sometimes value and preciousness here. So what Peter is saying is, you need to care and treat them valuably because they are heirs of grace. That's what it says at the, verse, at the end of verse seven. This is a beautiful reminder of, by Peter of the equality of men and women in the sight of God. It is so helpful here because he says to men, they are heirs of grace with you. Meaning that woman that you are married to or single guys, that woman that you are dating who is a Christian or guys, pe- women who are in your church who are Christians, they are daughters of the king. They are daughters of the king with as much rights and privileges and the same inheritance that you have. Would you take a daughter of the king and would you treat her harshly? Would you take her and insult her? Would you take her and tell her she is less than you? What do you think her daddy would do? And what Peter does in reminding men that women are heirs with him, it elevates women to the same status and says, they're right there with you. And it helps us as guys to say, the woman that I'm married to, this woman who is with me, this, my sister in Christ, she is a daughter of the king. And when we think about it that way, it says, how can I not treat with the utmost care, respect, and joy in her. So Peter here, what he's done is in this, he's reminding us we're right here. And guys, can I tell you something? It is vital that we get this. It is vital that we get this. Not just so that our marriages are good, but do you see what it says at the end of verse seven? That if we don't get this, If we're too pig-headed, we're too stubborn, we're too whatever, that at the end of verse seven, that our prayers will be hindered. Now, honestly, some guys don't pray a lot, so that doesn't bother them very much, but can can we get the weight of this? Can we get the weight of this? A hindered prayer means there's some kind of barrier in our relationship with God. Not that we're not saved, not that we've lost our salvation, but that means our open communication with God is hindered. Some guys may be wondering why they're not growing in the faith the way that they think they should be or maybe they could be. Could it be this is part of the root of it? Could it be that our sanctification is hindered 
because we have the wrong understanding and we're not ready to love and serve and care for our wives the way that it could be? Could it be single guys that you're not stepping out and being the leader that God has called you to be or living the way that God has called you to be because you are not treating the women around you with the right kind of thinking and respect? I know this passage is talking about husbands and wives, but don't you understand that this has ramifications for every aspect of our life? Men, God has called us to lead, to provide, and protect. And when we're not willing to do things God's way, God wants to look at us and say, how will I ever bless what you're doing in your home, at Remedy Church, in your community group, or even the things that you touch in the community? Why would I bless that when you're not willing to listen to the way that I have laid this out? Guys, I plead with you as I'm pleading with myself. Let us be men who have such a deep love and understanding for Jesus and the gospel that we cannot help say, how can I love my wife best? Because that's what God wants for me. I don't want there to be a hindrance between me and God. I want to be the man that God calls me to be. I want to be an example, not so that people will be proud of me, but so that I might show forth the gospel and show what it means to be a godly man. God, would you show me where I might be doing this wrong and may I do it right for the glory of Jesus? This is why I felt, like I said earlier, husbands show honor to their wives by intentionally pursuing a knowledge of both them and the gospel. As a husband, the deeper you know the gospel, the more you understand the big picture, and the more you understand, the more you will want in every minute detail your relationship to show forth the gospel. And the more you know your wife, the more you love her, the more you will seek to care, serve, and lead her. She is a co-heir loved by the king. Let us be men whether you're married, about to be married, or single, let us be men who love the way that God says love, who lead the way that God says lead, who care the way that God says care, who serve the way that God says serve because the gospel is preeminent in our hearts and in our lives. So now that we've talked about men, let us talk about what Peter says for women, wives. Here's what I would say. Wives honor their husbands by cultivating a spirit of joyful respect and inner beauty. Wives honor their husbands by cultivating a spirit of joyful respect and inner beauty. Because this part of the passage starts out with the words be subject, uh, the danger is this can grab all of our attention. It can be the only thing that we want to talk about. Um, it is important for us to realize that in verse one, it does say likewise. So again, we are called back, I believe, to 221, that Christ has left us an example so that we might follow in his steps. The passage here is so much more, so much deeper and so much more wonderful than merely wise be subject to your husbands. Look at some of the words it uses. Verse two, respectful and pure conduct. Verse four, a quiet and gentle spirit. Verse six, good conduct and lack of fear. The image of beauty that Peter uses here helps capture it all. And, and so I wanna kind of unpack that a little bit before we get into it. Um, I love date night, okay? 
My wife and I don't have them all the time. Not, you know, I wish we had like a weekly date night. We don't, but I, I love date night. And one of my favorite parts of date night um, is what I like to think of as the big reveal, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I typically, I just, I get ready before Carrie does, and then I'm, I try to help make sure that the, the kids are ready to eat and stuff's ready for the sitters and all that kind of stuff while she's getting ready. And so she's in there getting ready. I'm doing all this. And then I hear our bedroom door open because she has gotten completely ready. And she steps out. And when she steps out, I'm like, yes. That is what I've been waiting for. Because when it comes to date night, when it comes to date night, Carrie takes time. She figures out what outfit she's going to wear, what jewelry she's going to wear, how she's going to fix her hair, what her perfume she's going to wear. She thinks of all of that, and she does that for me. She is saying, I am adorning myself for you. And can I tell you, that is precious in my sight. I see that. Guys, I think you probably agree with me. When your wife does that for you, you're like, yes, I love that. My wife did that for me. And what I want you to know is that little bitty part that we feel, that joy that we feel, which is good, which is huge, I think that helps us to start wrapping our minds around something here. When Peter says that this adorning of the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty and gentle, quiet spirit is in God's sight very precious. That that I feel is just an inkling of what God feels when women, when you say, I am going to adorn myself with a beauty that is inside that will never fade. God's like, yes. That is, listen to the word. Did you hear? It is precious to God. Precious. Not satisfactory. Not just good. Not just, you know, okay. It is precious to God. And so as I know that I know my wife loves to adorn herself for date night, I want to encourage you. Do you love to adorn yourself with a beauty the way that God calls you to adorn your beauty? Now now listen, this passage does not say that women can't look nice and be physically attracted appealing, attractive, you you can't wear nice clothes. Some people say, well, yeah, it does. No, because it says, do not let let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. So if you think it means, well, I can't braid my hair and I can't wear gold, that also means you can't wear clothes. Um, Because that's literally what it says, putting on of clothing, not putting on of nice clothing, not putting on of whatever. Literally, the Greek says putting on of clothes. Peter is not saying, stop wearing clothes. So we can't take this too far and say, well, this, this can't mean that I can't adorn myself externally, that I can't look nice. That's not what Peter is saying. What Peter is saying is, don't let your outward appearance be all that there is. Yes, take care of yourself outwardly, but most importantly, the inward part is what's precious to God. Let that be primary in your life. 
So let's look at this a little bit more now that we kind of see this. So Peter writes, likewise, likewise, wives are to be subject to their husband. Now this is the third set of relationships where there's an authority and a response. And each one is a chance for us to live out the gospel. So if you remember back in chapter two, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we start talking about governmental authority, that those structures that are in place within society and how we as Christians can silence those who would speak ill of us by living lives that respond to authority in the right way. And then he talks about servants and masters. And so when servants respect and honor their masters, especially when the situation is difficult, it shows the worth of Christ over position and over things that are going on in our life. And now that here we get to this third one where he says, wives be subject to your husbands. Now, while the wording is very similar, one of the things that's unique is that this is the only one of the three where Peter directly addresses those who are in authority, right? So Peter doesn't make an address to the government. Peter doesn't make an address to masters, but Peter does make an address to husbands, and we've already looked at that. Um, And the command to wives is very particular. Notice what it says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. One of the things that we see here is this is not a general command for women to be subservient to men. This is to their own husbands. It's very emphatic in the Greek. And the reason why it's so emphatic is because Peter has this much larger view that our marriages image forth the gospel. So he's not saying, women, you need to be subject in everything. He's saying, I'm talking specifically in marriage for the sake of the gospel that you would do this because there's, there's reasons for it. God has designed for it and it is for your good. So I got to think about this. It's like, man, this is hard in our culture. This idea of, of submission, this is hard in our culture. But you know what? It must have been hard in the first century too. Do you notice in all the epistles, every time when it talks about marriage, what does it say? Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Live in an understanding way. Like we think this is just hard now because we live post-feminism and all these different stuff going on in our culture. This has always been hard. This has always been difficult. Or else the Bible wouldn't continually tell us that we needed to do this. So what is submission? Well, I I submit that submission is willing and joyful deferring to a husband's leadership in marriage. Let me say that again. Some of you look like you were writing it down and I was saying it really fast. Willing and joyful deferring to a husband's leadership in marriage. It does not communicate a lack of worth. It definitely does not communicate a lack of wisdom. And by no means does it communicate a lack of godliness. We saw already in verse seven that wives are heirs just like their husbands. And it's always helpful for me to think about the fact that Jesus submitted himself. He submitted himself to his earthly parents and he submitted himself to God the Father. Now we know that he was not less than his parents. We, do that. we know that he was actually greater than his earthly parents, yet he submitted himself to their leadership. We also know that Jesus is equal with the Father. He is not under the Father. He is not a little less God than God the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity, and yet he submitted himself to the leadership of the Father. When we see and understand this, it helps us to understand that when the Bible talks about submission, it is not talking about here of a lack of worth, but God's design and God's plan. 
Peter says that this kind of attitude and action can lead to husbands who are not believers being one. This January, I went on a trip uh, with some of our college students to um, the part of the, um, of the low country, and we were doing disaster relief work. We are helping people who had been affected by the floods. And as part of Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, they have these groups that are called feeding units, and they come, and what they do is they prepare for all the meals for the volunteers who are there serving. So the first night we were there, we sat down for dinner, and the guy who was in charge of the feeding unit sat down next to me, and uh, he and I were just having a conversation. Um, he was telling me about how long he had been involved in, in, in feeding units and disaster relief, um, and he said he'd been doing it for, he said, I think he said he'd been doing it for six years. He said, I've only been a Christian for seven years. And the guy's probably 10, 15 years older than me. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I said, so tell me your story. How is it that you became a follower of Christ? Because it seems like you got saved and it wasn't much longer you were out serving. And he pointed across the table at the lady who was sitting across from us. And he said, that's my wife. And for so many years, she followed Jesus and she prayed for me. And she had her friends pray for me. And I would go to church with her on Easter and Sunday. But when I got done with work, I went to the bar with my friends and all stuff. And then one day, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. She is so much different than me. She loves me. She cares for me. She puts up with all of my nonsense. Why in the world would she do that when I treat her the way that I treat her? And so I asked her, and she shared the gospel with me again. And I trusted Christ right then. It was crazy because the day that I sat down and talked to that guy, literally, that was on a Monday. I think it was on Saturday that Fudd and I had talked about I was going to preach this day, and this was the text. It was like God just kind of laid that in my lap. Here was a real-life example of a wife who loved her husband and cared for her and, and set forth those things that God had given her to do, even with an unbelieving husband. And he watched her, and God used it to draw his heart to the gospel right there, real life. And can I tell you this? I think that it's safe to say if God can use wives as a tool and an instrument to bring their husbands to faith in Christ, can God also not use the same thing in the life of wives to help bring about their husband's sanctification? Wives, do you see that as you're continually following Christ and obeying his commands and cultivating this kind of spirit and this kind of thinking and this kind of living within you, God will use that even in the life of your husband to make him less of a scoundrel and rogue and more like Jesus? And if you're married, you know all of us have a long way to go to be like Jesus. We need lots of help. And one of God's gifts to us is a wife who loves Jesus and helps us step by step to become more like him. As we've already stated, this kind of heart is, is precious in the sight of God. It's a heart that's respectful, it's pure, it's gentle, it's full of hope in the gospel. Peter mentions Sarah. Now, if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, honest, honestly, this is one of those times when I read this, I'm like, why is that there? Why is he talking about Sarah all of a sudden? But if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham is always lifted up in the Bible as the man of faith. He's the one that we, that we emulate. He trusted, he heard God, he believed, it was counted to him as righteousness. But the thing you see about Abraham and Sarah's life is they're always having to act by faith. Neither one of them got it perfect. Neither one of them always did it right. But not only was Abraham having to act in faith, Sarah was having to act in faith as well. Abraham comes home. Hey, guess what? We're moving. Where are we going? I have no clue. God just said, pack it up and let's go. 
Sarah, at that point, had to act in faith too. Why? God had spoken to her husband. She didn't think he was delusional, I guess. Didn't say that in here. She said, God speaks to you. This is what we need to do. I'm going to go. And I am going to trust that God loves us and cares for us and that this is gonna be best for our family. And so, Ab- so Sarah steps in faith. Did Sarah mess up? Yes. Was Sarah perfect? No. When God said, I'm gonna come back in a year and have a baby, who was it that laughed? Sarah, right? She didn't get it perfect. But Peter can look at her and say, just as Abraham was a person of faith, Sarah too had to act in faith. And you are her daughters. You are those who are like her, who live by faith when you trust that what God has for you is best and good and is right and will fulfill all that he set out for you. So he says, yes, act in faith. Not just the faith in Abraham, but faith in God. Sarah is the example because she lived and trusted in the faith of God. So ladies, as God calls you to experience this and walk this way and fight against the tide in the culture and be the women that God has called you to be, he says, set your eyes on Sarah who trusted and walked in faith and be her daughters, live in faith. So, so what do we do with this? I, I mean, I think that there's ways that this applies to all of us. We've kind of mentioned it, but, uh, but what we're going to do today is going to do something a little bit different. Instead of me kind of laying out four different points of application, here's what, here's what I want to do. Right in the back of the room, um, it's got a black cloth over it right now, but we're going to pull that off in a second. On your way out today, there are four baskets or four buckets that are right back there in the back, and they've got four different sets of envelopes in it. One says married men, one says married women, one says single men, one says single women. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Whichever one of those categories you fit into, I would like for you to take one of those envelopes with you as you go to leave today. That's just for you. Now, if you're married, you're not the, you know, this isn't like an exercise for the two of you to do together to pull these out and read to each other. This is for you. And the way that they're set up, there's some, some questions on there for you to reflect on what God has and then some ways that you can put it into practice. Yes, if you are single, there are ways that you can even now start putting some of these into practice. Here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to hear this and say, wow, there were some things. Maybe that was good. Maybe we'll go forward and say, but how do I do this? As a husband, how do I live with my life wife in an understanding way? How do I communicate honor to her? Some of you guys are really, really good at that. You don't need any help at all. Like you've heard this and your mind is already go to, you know what? There are this, this, and this that I need to do this week that I'm going to do for my wife. Some of you guys are there. Some of y'all are out there going, dang it, my wife heard this and now I'm not going to do it. And I want to help those of you who are right there with me thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? Wives, I want to help you say, hey, here's how we can put some of this into practice. Y'all are so good at this. We don't really have to help you. But just in case, here's a couple of ideas. I'm not going to say that they're the best. I'm not going to say that this is going to revolutionize your marriage. But here's what I will say. We honor our spouses the way that God designs it. It takes first and foremost a love for God more than our spouse. 
and a desire to say, I want my marriage in every aspect to show forth the gospel. And, and if you're single, there's just as much for you. There's just as much for you. How do your relationships with the opposite sex, how do they display a love for God first in the ways that you support and care for people who are married, the way that you think about possible marriage in the future, the way that you talk to your friends who are about to get married, all of these things, all of them have so many aspects and and so much more. I was going to keep talking, but I'm going to give away some of the stuff in the envelopes and I don't want to do that. I want you to take one of those with you. But as we turn our hearts to respond in in corporate worship now, as a body, here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop for a minute and think about how awesome it is that God weaves the gospel into the very fabric of our lives. Family-child relationships husband-wife relationships, co-worker relationships. Every aspect of our lives is touched by the gospel. Like if I were to have to try to come up with that, I, I, I could never do that. I could never find a way to make something touch every aspect of my life. But God does it in such a way that we can't even fathom the depths of it. And how good of God to love us, not just to provide a way for us to be brought back to him, but to, as Jordan said, Romans 8, 31, give us all good things with Christ. Not simply to give us Christ, but to give us all good things. That is mind-boggling. So maybe this morning, maybe you kind of realize that you took some of that for granted. And in our time of response, your first response, maybe it's just a time of repentance and crying out to God and confessing and asking God to help you to see it more. Maybe you've not thought about all the ways that God has touched every aspect of your life and you need to sit and meditate on that. Maybe God's exploding in your heart because you see the way that your husband or your wife honors you and you know it's because they love Jesus more and you are overwhelmed that God would give that person to you right now. Or maybe it's just you see the cross clearly, more clearly than you've ever seen it and understand that God loves you so much that he's not just going to bring you home, but he's going to give you all good things and his commands are good. Therefore, you're good. Therefore, your joy. Therefore, your utmost satisfaction because he loves you deeply. Or maybe even for the first time, you became in here and you're thinking, does God love me? Does God care for me? Who is God? And the cross stands right now saying, though you are a sinner, though we are all sinners, though we have turned away from God, though we have all walked away from God, though we feel the depths of our depravity and our sin and our shame, God knows that. And in spite of that, God has provided a way that we can be brought near to him. He has provided a way for our hearts to be made new because of the great love with which he has loved us. And so Christ came and died on our behalf that we might be reconciled to God. 
If this morning that's the first time you've heard or the first time you understand that, I plead with you, trust Christ. Trust Christ. Don't trust in your goodness. Don't trust in your own way to do it. Trust the one who loves you enough that he would come and die for you. And don't leave here without telling somebody, the person you came with, me, someone else, and say, I need to trust Christ. I want to pray, and as we move into our time of response, I ask that you just let your heart overflow with the goodness of God. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are not quiet about difficult things, that you are open about things which are for our good and for our joy. And I pray, Father, that we would seek you in the way that we relate to our spouse you would be primary and it would overflow and that our marriages here at Remedy would be beautiful multifaceted pictures of the gospel and God we come to you a, a broken people knowing we will never get this all the way right Father I pray that when we do get it right that others would be turned to see you. That when we get it right, that that facet of the gospel would, would be a reflection of the glory of Jesus. So God, use us. Mold us. Make us like Jesus. Give us affections for you that trump all else. And may those overflow in our desire to follow you. We love you. We ask it in Christ's name for his glory alone.